Welcome to Red, White, Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. The 2022 midterm election is finally in the books, and now everyone's attention has already shifted to the 2024 presidential election. Will Joe Biden run again, or will there be a new Democratic candidate for president? Will DeSantis or Trump end up with the GOP nomination, or will another challenger step into the fray? At this point, it's anyone's guess. So today, the show is going to focus on the alignment of voters with the American political parties. Are the parties today what they used to be? And right now, are we actually experiencing what many in the discipline would refer to as a realignment? So please join me in welcoming today's guest, Lee Peterson, to the show. Lee is an international political consultant and has worked in more than 50 countries across the globe. He holds a PhD in international relations from the London School of Economics. So first, thanks, Lee, for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. So for the past couple of weeks on this program, I've focused exclusively on politics in Appalachia, particularly what the landscape looks like here in rural America, whether we see changes happening here in terms of the economy and also just politics in general. And I'm hoping today we can talk a little bit broader about American politics in general and the changes we're seeing nationally. So I think I want to start with, well, what the heck does our party alignment look like today? Um, Do we know anything? I mean, it's past the 2022 midterms. Do we know (laughs) anything about the alignment of voters at this point? Um, Well, I I think, you know, we we discussed this idea of a, a realignment and alignment of political parties. I mean, the American system is quite unique in that sense that its its coalitions are pretty solid. They're, they're linked to the parties and that they stay with the parties over very long periods of time, except when we go through these occasional realignments, as I see it. Um, most historians, there's an argument, are we going through our sixth realignment? Are we in a realignment? Is this the seventh realignment? It goes into all sorts of nitpicking, but I would argue that yes, we are going through a realignment right now. And what what's most important for me in the realignments are voters moving from their traditional base to a new base. So for example, um, the last realignment I would argue was 1980. And what was so important about 1980 was Ronald Reagan was able to flip the South from a staunchly democratic base to a Republican base. And that that base is carried on to this day. I mean, the South is generally seen as a Republican base. There were moves to try to do that prior. Um, Richard Nixon famously had his Southern strategy and he won the election, but he didn't really flip the South. He got votes from the South, but he didn't flip the South. Um, And I think what's going on currently is the, the Great Lake states are in the most tumultuous period. They're the ones that are turning. And um, I know there's a debate of whether it's a Republican-Democrat split between rural and urban, but I would point to my home state of Ohio and say, up until, you know, 2016, north of a certain line, where, which is mostly the industrial part of Ohio, was staunchly Democrat. And south of that was always Republican. But in the 2016 election, Donald Trump flipped areas of the, of the state that had been supporting the Democratic Party since the 1930s. 
And that was, that was the moment for me that I recognized we're in, we, we are in a realignment in our politics. Yeah. Others have actually, even last week, I had um, someone on the show, Silas House, who mentioned that in rural areas, he has seen kind of movement even since the 90s in terms of Clinton and kind of this idea of the liberal elite that the liberal elite idea really started then. It wasn't something super new. Like we're, we're talking about it now, but like there's mm-hmm. been a little bit of that that has even come since the 90s mm-hmm. and that a lot of people in rural areas, you know, the rural urban uh, divide that that's just been growing. It got exacerbated right. recently. Would you would you agree with that? I would. There's there's always signs of the realignment prior to it actually really taking place. And it it's showing in an election where it's it's a surprise to everybody what happens. But if you really dig in, you can see it earlier. I'll give an example. You're talking about the 90s. In the 90s, the 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 high earners in America flipped from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And it was the, I, I would argue it was the too big to fail kind of idea that, you know, we support this party. We can't fail. We will support them going forward. And that is, um, you know, a, a, a real difference. And one of the big differences, I think, over rural to urban is on two levels. It's, it's kind of a combination. It's education and income that are dividing the American political base. And that, I think, is where the real le- realignment is taking place. So I was actually this morning looking at some of the statistics on the voters and how they how they divided themselves in 2022. And I noticed the education piece that you just brought up that in previous semesters, when I've taught about party alignment and education, it hasn't been as clear cut as it is today that we see actually now the more education you have, the more likely it is that you're going to vote for Democrats. Um, and so there definitely is a division there that's kind of, I guess, more sorted itself recently than in the past. Maybe. I don't know. I, I would say it was clearer in 20 than it was in 22. But yes, I agree. Yeah, I think what happened in, in 22 is the, the, the white working class stayed at home and they didn't come out as strongly. And and I think that goes to, you know, when you talk about realignments, you know, they're not a smooth transition. They don't just happen. And I, I think, especially within the Republican Party, there's a there's a uh, a civil war going on between the the old Republicans and what is, I would argue, the future of the Republican Party. And you know, Republicans I've known for years that have worked 30 years in the party are holding their nose at what's going on because they they really don't like this transition. But then again, if you go back to the 1980s, they boot they were the ones that booted the Rockefeller Republicans to the curb. So. It, it's a transition that takes place. It's never smooth. And there's historical markers that kind of point out why these aren't smooth. I mean, third party candidates quite often have taken place during these realignments where a, a section of the party is not happy and they'll, they'll run their own candidate. And what that ends up doing is giving the opposition party the leg up because in a, in a, on a first past the post system like we have, if you run a third candidate, whoever the party who doesn't have his base being split will win. Yeah, you mentioned the 2022 election and certain voters staying home. So everyone thought 2022, I mean, well, I even went on Twitter and I said, I expect that like 
Republicans are going to crush it, right? That they're going to do very well in the House elections, are going to do very well in the Senate. I thought they were going to take both chambers. Um, and I, I stuck by that. And if my students are listening, they can tell you that the day after the election, when they finally called the Senate, or I guess it wasn't the day after, in the days after the election, when they finally called the Senate for the Democrats, I said, well, you can now go on Twitter and tweet out hashtag Dr. Evans was wrong. Uh, but I mean, there there wasn't a red wave this time. What do you think that the, I mean, was it just not being able to activate the individuals who perhaps came out in 2020 on the GOP side, or was it something that the Democrats were doing in 2022? I, I think it was a combination, but uh, I haven't really seen a really good analysis of, of the, the voter turnout. Um, I've heard a few commentators talk about it. And one of the things they said is Republicans did slightly better among four-year college degree than they did in 20, but, but uh, non, um, non-graduate college and lower didn't turn out in the numbers that was, were expected. So there's a disconnect between, I would say, the RNC and the leadership of, of the Senate and the House with their electorate at the moment. And that, that happens often in these realignments because they're not a voter they're used to going for. They're not used to turning their, their, their voice to that. Now, in certain states where you can see where they, they've recognized that. I mean, DeSantis is the classic case. I mean, he, he's, he's turned Miami-Dade County into a Republican stronghold. Now, you don't do that unless you're attracting a, the, that certain voter that came out in 20 for, for Trump, but you know, in other areas hasn't. So that's, to me, where the patchwork is. There's certain people that get the transition and, and the realignment, and others that are, are still you know, very upset with it. I mean, there were cases where they weren't funding certain candidates in, in that had the Republican ticket because they couldn't stand them. So, I mean, there's, and I would, I wouldn't be surprised if in 24, we see a third party candidate of some form on the Republican side. So I know that, so for the listeners who are like, I can tell that Heather and Lee have talked before. <laughs> I know, I know that we've talked a little bit about Trump and there being like this outsider candidate that really shakes it up. So could could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Do you think that he is the candidate that perhaps is setting a realignment into motion? Yeah, um, this is something we have discussed and you know, you know, full full disclosure and talked about. Um, of the of the six realignments, all have been led by an outsider in terms of. The, the political class of the day. Um, the first one that I was taught was Andrew Jackson, who was a Tennessean. I mean, he was divorced, he married a divorcee, he, all these things from the outside. Um, and the, and the, 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 the politics of the day loathed him and they didn't want him to be president. And, but for me in the American politics, the realignment has to be started by the outsider because they say the things that no one else will say that the political language of the day won't accept. And so it, it, it has to be the outsider. I mean, if anyone's to blame for Donald Trump as a, as a political player in, in Republican politics, it's the, was it 15 other candidates who were on the dais with him in the first debate? They could have gone and, and appealed to that voter. That voter was there to be taken, but they wouldn't do it because they were held back by the politics of the day. And it has to be the outsider. And, all of the, the, the realignments have been led by an outsider of the day. 
Yeah, it reminds me a little bit about what um, Dave Chappelle in his stand-up the other day on Saturday Night Live had a line in there that someone sent to me where he was like, y'all were all shocked that Trump became what Trump became, but he came out and said what people were thinking in a moment when, like, he's one of the elite, and yet he's saying that, like, I benefit from all these tax breaks, fix the code, and things like that, and that that really resonated with people. It does, and and that's that voter. And again, you know, like you mentioned, I've worked in a lot of countries. I don't care about the candidates. To me, the focus is on the voter and what the voter wants and what the voter's saying. And, and your job as the candidate is to reflect that and, and say, yes, I understand it. And I know how to take your issues and make it into a proper policy and everything else like that. And in America, it seems like we go along for a 40-year period because they usually happen in a 40-year cycle everything's going well, but then the voter gets a little, you know, disinterested or, or feeling like they're no longer represented. And it, this outsider comes in and speaks to that issue. Yeah. And that might be the voters. So I was driving around town recently and I saw this large bumper sticker on the back of someone's truck that said, we, the people are pissed. And so I, I think that those are the, those are those voters, right. Who feel like outside the political system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the most unusual voter in this these last couple of years has been what has been described as the Obama-Trump voter. And, and to make that transition in a voter is, is unusual. It's, it's not what you would expect in a typical voter, but that's what's going on in American politics. And sadly, I don't feel the establishment gets that. I, I, I mean, they're, they're trying to force things into, you know, gamesmanship and things like that to stop people from running, um, you know, avoiding funding campaigns. But in the end, I always believe that we, 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 we get through the, the uh, realignment and a new party appeal appears. I mean, the classic is, you know, in the, in the 30s and 40s when, when Roosevelt, when Franklin Roosevelt realigned the Democratic Party to be a certain base that held for decades in terms of the Southern vote, the working class vote, the African-American vote, the Jewish vote. That was his coalition that he rebuilt. But everyone forgets that prior to that, the African-American vote was a staunch Republican vote. So these these transitions do take place. And it doesn't help either when people are starting to call them deplorables and unacceptables or whatever. They're just voters who are angry and no one's no one's reflecting their 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 position and their hardships. That's a great point. So let me pause for a moment. As I know, Mm -hmm. people are driving around probably like, who is Heather talking to today? So hi, y'all. Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans, and you're listening to a conversation about realignments and the current political system we find ourselves in here in America. Um, I am chatting with Lee Peterson, and he is making some excellent points about realignments. So Lee is an international political consultant and has worked in more than 50 countries across the globe and holds his PhD in international relations from the London School of Economics. Okay, so realignments, as you mentioned, happen in like there's some periodicity to this, Mm -hmm. that we get in these cycles, that we have a realignment and then we kind of don't have one. And, And that is the thing. It's like 30 to 40 years and we're supposed to have another one. So we are absolutely due to have one. And we have been for a little while. Um, one of the things in political science that we talk about a lot, though, is that how difficult it is to say that an election has been a realignment 
right. Cause like, we all want to say it. Um, so in 2004, people were like, oh, Carl Rove, he absolutely is realigning the parties in a sense. And like with Bush and all that. And then Obama, oh, Obama, this is a different kind of candidate. Oh my gosh, we're in a realignment. How do you think that the most recent elections, so we're going to talk about 2016 and 2020, how are those more realigning than the ones that came directly before it? Well, I would look at 2004 as an example. The only thing Kyle Rove did was brought out a voter that just stayed away in, in 2000, and that was the, 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 the Christian right or whatever you want to describe it. They just stayed at home. And that's why all of a sudden George Bush became this, you know, ultra conservative because he wanted to bring that vote out. It's, to me, a realignment is when a vote that has traditionally always turned out from one party shifts over to the other party. I don't feel that happened in 2004. I don't think that happened for Obama. What came out was a, a much stronger African-American vote for Obama. They turned out in much larger numbers. But that's, to me, not a realignment. That's just a, a juiced up uh, electorate who's coming out to vote. Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about the realigning happening on the Republican side. But what about the Democratic side? I mean, are they going through a similar transition as the party is on the right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're gaining voters that were traditionally conservative voters. I mean, the neocons. And remember, the neocons left the Democratic Party in the 60s moved over to the Republican Party, and now they're moving back to the Democratic Party. So as an, just as an example, and the, the educational voter, too, is something we've mentioned, is moving more to the, 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 the Democrats than to the, leaving the Republicans to the Democrats. You know, it, it, and it's always, it's not the wings of the parties that realign, it's the centers of the parties that tend to realign. And that's why it becomes so... Um, antagonistic is because it is these center bases that are moving. I mean, the, the, the so-called deplorables that, that Hillary Clinton was describing were, were traditional Democrat voters. So, you know, how are you going to get them back if you're calling them deplorable? I, it behooves me to, to, to want to kick these parties and say, hey, recognize what you're doing. You're, you, you know, you don't control them. They control you. And you got to understand what their needs and wants are. That's a great point. Um, so in 2014, so this would have been right after the midterm, the second midterm and with Obama, um, that in that election, I remember right afterwards, there was a report that came out in the Washington Post that told the Republicans or, you know, in general, hey, GOP, you need to do something because your demographics aren't looking that great. You are losing, you know, you're you're diminishing returns, essentially. You're really only pulling from white, older Americans. I mean, is that true these days? Um, actually not. I mean, the, the Hispanic vote seems to be moving to the Republicans. Um, and it, I, I got into several arguments in that period. And um, one of my friends told me Republicans will never be able to win a national election again because you're tapping into... You're, you're, you're rude. Every, every four years, you lose about 2% of the white vote in America. It's, it's been going on since the 60s. And that you're, you're getting to such numbers that Mitt Romney got higher numbers of white voters than anybody else in, in, um, in, in Republican history. And then we're to the point where some of my Democrat friends were saying, you're not going to be able to get any more because you're going to have to get people like us. And um, we're not switching. So 
that's why I I agreed that we were you know the party needed to change and needed to that that's, was one of the signs that a realignment needed to happen. Um, and again, like we've talked about, realignments don't just all of a sudden appear. There, there is early warning signs for them, but it's that moment when that shift in the voter takes place that's important. So looking forward um, at the Republican Party right now, because they are having these internal fights, um, you can see them everywhere. People who are GOP pundits are coming out and talking about like very negatively about Trump. Others mm -hmm. are supporting him. Um, he didn't do some of the people that who he had kind of ordained in this last election didn't do that well. And then you have DeSantis, who's who did well in the last election. What do you think is going to happen with the GOP? Do you think I mean, do you foresee a DeSantis pick in 2024 or what do you think? I, I think with the base, I think Trump blocks out the sun. So I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, obviously I would argue Pence is probably going to run. I, I, I would really, I know this, this media fight between DeSantis and Trump is looking kind of ugly, but I don't really, I question how legitimate it is. I think Trump's listening to, to the New York Times instead of listening to his base. But I, I still see it difficult for a DeSantis to beat a Trump in, in a primary. I really do over the long run because his base is still staunch to be him. If you were advising the GOP about kind of how to run this time in 2024, what would you tell them? You know, it seems like in this last election, the economy was the number one issue as mm -hmm. usually it is, but it was the number one issue. It didn't mean though that everybody voted for the GOP, you know, it depended on where you were, really. In yeah. some places, other things like abortion took the forefront in people's minds. It depended on if that was on the ballot. How would you be advising that party? I would get them to, I would try to get them, because as an advisor, you never are successful always, but to recognize who their base is and their base is shifting and that you need to address that base. And that, that base is, I, I would say, $30,000 up and then at the top end, under four years uh, uh, college education is really where the staunch base of the Republican Party is moving to. Now, before 2016, it was nothing like that. And that's the, that's the aspect I don't think they've recognized. I don't think they've taken that on fully. I think Trump recognized that. And that's why he was able to pull the inside straight of flipping Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in 2016. What's wild to me is that I teach a class on parties and I for years have said things like we expect the GOP to kind of divide itself. It's very difficult to create policies that make everyone happy who is very high income and mm -hmm. then also makes very religious people very happy. Those two sections of the Republican Party are not the same mm -hmm. and it's hard to keep them satisfied. But now the party seems very different. Yeah. Well, this, it was the same thing leading up to 2016 with the Democrats saying you have the highest earners, the, the Wall Street and the Silicon Valley people, and you also have the lower, lower income people in the working class. And that, that's a situation that couldn't last forever. So again, like we, you know, those, those aspects lead into one of these realignments. It's just the fact that the oddity is they seem to happen on a regular time scale of 40 years. I think the other big aspect of the realignment, and 
you know, causation and, and um, correlation are not always the same thing. But the other thing that seems to come out of the realignment is the direction of the United States. It changes at that point. And looking as, you know, as an international consultant, I'm seeing what's coming where the world is going and the United States is going to have to realign to that. So equally, as we're having this domestic realignment, there's a realignment going on outside that the United States is having to prepare for and be ready for. And I, I think um, Trump moved the dial that way. And, you know, if if history ever is nice to him, I think that's the one thing that they'll recognize, that he realized that the security system of the 1940s is no longer the security system that the United States needs in, in the 2020s. And so I think globalization is done. I, I think, you know, relying on China to manufacture everything is over. I think Russia's position in the world is about to change. So not to go too deeply into that, but I think the direction of the United States will change as of the post-Cold War era is now at an end, and now it's the post-whatever era. Yeah, and one of the claims by scholars who study realignments is also that when realignments happen, they don't happen because of local issues. They happen because of big national issues. Mm -hmm. And so, and technically you're talking about international issues, but still all of that, it's much larger than just the small communities that drive the realignments. So on the left, if you were advising the Democrats right now, should they just keep doing what they're doing? What do they need to do? I mean, I'll tell you as somebody living in Appalachia, they do need to start paying attention to rural areas more, but what do you think? Are they what should they do in 2024? You know, we, we talked about how there's a civil war going on in the Republican Party. I would ar- equally argue there's a civil war going on in the Democratic Party. Um, between the, you know, the, I don't know how do you want to describe it, the woke left or, or whatever that aspect of it is. And again, the establishment Democrats. Now, the establishment Democrats have done a much better job. And being in power does help that. Controlling that, you know, that public view of that battle. but you know, what happens when Nancy Pelosi is no longer, you know, the, the have, has the gavel? It changes the, the nature of the party. And Chuck Schumer's still the, the, you know, leading in the Senate. But it, there is about to take place, a, a, you know, a, a demographic change in, in the Democratic Party. And where that leads and who wins that fight will be equally interesting. I, I would say, you know, keep unity because that's the biggest issue always in American politics, even when you have a civil war, you have to be unified because as soon as you're not, you'll lose an election. Yeah. And it feels like on the the Democratic side, you do have the more progressives versus the establishment Democrats. So how does that all shake out? And plus this time around in 2022, y'all, young people voted at decent rates and they, they tilted to the left. They tilted for the Democrats. And that's even true was looking up statistics on this earlier, even young people who, you know, say that they are part of the GOP, they they say that they're Republicans, their party identification is Republican, they have more liberal leaning beliefs than conservative leaning beliefs. And so I don't know what that means for the future. And well, I, I always say, you know, there's usually only three things that make youth vote, and that's taxes, taxes, and taxes. It's it's when they begin to take responsibility. So, you know, what was the most liberal cohort to enter into the election arena, but the baby boomers, right? 
when they came in. They were the most liberal, outrageous, and now they're being slammed for being so conservative. So also age and, you know, what is it, Winston Churchill's old line, if you're not a, a socialist uh, as a youth, you don't have a heart. If you're not a conservative by your 40, age of 40, you don't have a brain. It takes place and it happens. And so these transitions do take place. But again, equally, like you're saying, there, there is a, a new view of what being a conservative is and what being a Republican is. Um, I mean, to me, I've never, I, I've always been on one, I know I've worked in British politics and, you know, the, the, the aspects there are much different. And I, I found the fault line of politics much easier to understand than the American fault line in politics. But that's because America is so big that there's different fault lines in different places. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So I guess time will tell y'all, uh, we may be in a realignment right now. Um, and, and I guess maybe in a few years we can look back and be like, that was definitely a realignment, (laughs) (laughs) perhaps. Well, thanks to everyone for joining us today. And thank you, Lee, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, and if you missed any piece of this broadcast today, you can listen again on, um, multiple radio stations. Now we've actually expanded from over at Emory all the way over to Wise and into Clintwood. Um, You can also listen online by podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Uh, Links are going to be provided on Facebook. Feel free to follow us if you like the show, share it. And I hope everyone has a great week. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,